This week on Keeping Faith. Life is a big unknown. That is the nature of life. We never know how it's going to go. So all I can do is show up and be curious and open and strong in myself. And so I think I've landed at a point in my life where I'm actually present and I'm just curious. And it's made me so comfortable with change. When Jessica Rose left for L.A. two years ago to pursue her dreams as an actor, all signs pointed to it being a life-changing move. Turns out it was, but not in the way she expected. Soon after arriving, Jessica's life fell apart, and she found herself alone in a new place with no job, nowhere to live, and no one to lean on. But instead of running from the chaos, Jessica decided to sit in the middle of it, to dig deep and ask what this situation had to teach her. And that turned out to be the most life-changing move of all. Jessica and I talk about how this journey brought her out of her head and back into connection with her heart, and to trust the wisdom she found there. She reflects on the events of her life as a trail of breadcrumbs from the universe, leading her to find strength she never knew she had. And she talks about how being completely alone has led her to find the community she always craved. Because how do you start picking up the pieces when everything's fallen apart? This is her story. I'm Maren Smith, and you're listening to Keeping Faith. Keeping Faith is located on Haudenosaunee and Anishinaabek territory in Hamilton, Ontario. And Jessica Rose lives on Tongva territory in Los Angeles, California. Curious about whose land you're on? Visit keepingfaithpod.com about for a list of Indigenous mapping resources or get in touch with your local Native center or council. What is giving you hope right now? And is there a story from your life right now that has connected you to your sense of faith or hope? Mm-hmm. Um, this is actually a big question for me because I think my journey of the last two years um, specifically has been about cultivating this faith and hope inside myself. So I could answer this in like the big way or in a really small way, like the macro or the micro on a macro level. So on in the big picture, I think it's observing the patterns of my life and the lives of those around me and the things that I see in the world. And I start to see how the dots connect and I see the perfection in them. So I watch myself and the people that I love um, around me go through these like intense challenges and hardships and they're facing their worst fears and they're going through the fire. They're learning like the hardest, deepest, most profound life lessons. And then they meet the gifts on the other side. So arriving somewhere where they never thought they would be or discovering a courage, a resiliency in themselves they didn't know they had, or they manifest a dream or their life partner, or they align somehow with like their purpose, right? There's Mm. something that brings meaning to the pain and the growth and the work that it took. I think I feel so much hope in growth. 
I feel so much hope about the other side of fear that the light really does come. So I think we have to really do the work though, like the work to change and grow. I might be going through it and I'm like, I don't know why this is happening and I don't like this is happening. My ego's screaming, but there's a lesson here. There may be something here for me to learn. Mm-hmm. So I think what gives me faith is that everything is for my higher learning, that everything that happens to me is making me more resilient and strong and courageous and teaching me something or expanding me into my purpose, that it's for my higher evolution, which is why I think we're in the world. Um, Mm. so I notice that patterns will repeat themselves until we learn them. And what's cultivated some of this faith in me is that I've noticed in my darkest times when I have felt so alone and confused and scared and like, I don't have a handle on anything that somehow I was still so supported. Like the right people would always show up right when I thought I'd be out of money an opportunity would come, even if it was just like for the next month, I'd be okay. Or when I didn't think I had any more strength or energy for anything, I discover, okay, I do. (laughs) There's still things coming. I guess I can meet that. So when I feel lost in my life, um, I was actually coming into the most empowered version of myself. And I see magic and synchronicity everywhere, that there's something greater at work. I'm constantly being shown that there's a mystery to life that my human brain can't fathom on its own. Like I can't figure out the magnitude of it with this mind, right? There's something so much bigger um, that we just can't possibly comprehend all that is. And then more specifically, um, so I, I went to Los Angeles like two and a half years ago and my situation there was sort of absurd because I didn't know how long I would stay there. And I think I was afraid initially of like fully putting my stake in the ground and committing to the three years. And a lot was changing in my personal life. I didn't know how it would go. So I ended up in this situation where I was moving constantly. Mm. So I thought at first I would just take it like month to month. And then, um, you know, I'd find a sublet and and it would run out. And so I'd find a new one and I'd decide to stay longer. So I just started to keep moving. And this started to go on and on and on. And this starts to sound crazy because at some point, just figure out where you want to be. But I moved like 20 something times in two years. Wow. Like a lot. (laughs) And I actually at some point started looking for long-term places in that time and I couldn't find anything. Or I would find something and I'd live there for two months and then all of a sudden my roommate would say, oh, I've decided to move and give up the apartment, sorry. And I'd have to go. And this happened repeatedly, like repeatedly. So there was something really weird at work. But a few things happened through that process. One was that I always found a place to go. So every single time I was desperate and there were times where I was desperate, like I didn't know where I was going to live tomorrow. Like it got that dire and I would keep getting into these positions where I'd have like two days left and I just had no idea where I would go. And always without fail, something would show up like every single time something would show up and usually exactly what I needed. And um, I met my whole community in LA doing this. Like my whole world transformed during that process. So at some point I kind of gave in and I was like, okay, this is what it's going to be and what's happening. Um, Like on a mental level, I was like, I can't stabilize myself and I can't get grounded. And yet I always had a home, actually always. So it was really teaching me how to find that like inside. And it really started to teach me to trust my, well, trust myself, but also like it built my trust muscle. 
Mm. That I don't have to panic that I'm being taken care of on some level that I may not understand. So, so that has really, that experience itself has made me um, really secure in the world <laughs> that I will always have a place to land. And so with all that being said on, on a micro level, like the right now hope, um, one is that I feel really nourished by the place that I'm living in, which is like maybe my 23rd temporary home or something stupid, but I feel really taken care of where I am right now. And I'm in nature, I'm on a farm. And every day, like I go outside with my coffee, and I just take in my surroundings, and I observe the natural world. And I feel so much hope in nature, just like realizing the perfection of it, that everything just runs perfectly when we get out of the way. <laughs> that there's so much magic and synchronicity and flow to existence itself. So for me, um, the work of faith is to stop trying to control everything ourselves, to not try to control every aspect of the human experience and know that there's things for us to learn if we just get into the flow. Yeah. It really strikes me that this whole journey, both what you're saying on the macro and the micro, is this process of listening and then taking a step and mm -hmm. then listening and then taking a step. So I wonder if that's how it's felt for you in this moment. Yes. Um, listening and taking a step. And it all taught me how I, I what I want to say is how to take the step. Like, mm. like I used to be so afraid of letting go of the wheel. Like I thought I was driving the car and that it was, I had control and it really taught me that I don't. <laughs> and I do have choice. Like I'm presented with choices all the time and I get to make the decisions, but there is a certain amount of surrender. Mm that also has to take place. So I think sometimes it's actually taking a step into something that's really scary and uncomfortable because you know it's for your higher good, even if it's terrifying. So I've been very surrendered in all of the steps. Not always. I've been kicking and screaming a bunch of times. But but <laughs> in a lot of the steps forward, it's, it's going, oh, this is what you want from me. I'm going to try to be curious about that and take the step in through with my curiosity about what you're here to show me. Who the you is, I don't even know. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's such an important lesson, especially in these times, because I think with with COVID, and I've said this before, like we are going through a global lesson in letting go, mm -hmm. letting go of the way we thought life was supposed to look, the way the world is supposed to run. And you're seeing the tension in that people really trying to like grip with an iron fist onto certain things. And then you also see the opposite in some ways happening in some areas where people are surrendering what they thought was truth to what maybe is a higher truth. Mm -hmm. I, I felt when this started that the last two years of my life actually prepared me for this moment. Mm. I actually felt like, oh, like the world has quieted to where I've been now for the last two years <laughs> and I can just relax in it almost. Because um, I, I think what I was the last thing that I was um, holding on to was this idea that if I wasn't in the hustle, that I was like failing 
or that, or that things couldn't happen. Mm -hmm. And so much has happened to me in this time. So much has actually come through that I was like, Oh, that that's also part of the illusion, you know, but I, I felt that so much of my life as I knew it has been stripped from me over the last few years that when this happened, I was like, yep, ready for it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I also have heard that from some people that the simplicity that's been made available to us because we can't make ourselves busier uh, or we can't fill the silence or the time with things the way we used to is really a gift in and of itself. And it's been full of challenges. I'm not trying to make light of it. And and certainly there has been some um, major grief and trauma and um, horrific stuff has been going on at the same time. So this isn't a trivial thing. But my but my personal inner experience through this time has, has actually been um, profoundly positive, just just in my own personal life. But but I do also witness, you know, that the world is going through major transformations and a lot of pain and, and that's really hard. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So let's go back then and talk a little bit about this journey and, but let's start by going back beyond just two years ago. Um, so we'll go back to when you were growing up and I'm curious about sort of how this sense of faith or hope has evolved in you. So starting when you were young, what were you taught about the world and what were you taught about faith and hope? I really spent some time reflecting on this <laughs> and it's really, it's interesting. It was, it was hard for me to land on this um, because I had very, I had two very different points of view growing up. Mm. My mother was deeply spiritual, is deeply spiritual, and her spirituality is a really important part of her. She very much believes in God. I don't think it's a religious God. Um, my understanding of what she connects to isn't tied to religion, although we're Jewish, but I think it's been her own inner experience of God. And it's very meaningful and very important to her. And my dad is the opposite. (laughs) My dad is an atheist and he's all about facts and science and he's very philosophical and he likes exploring things. But when it comes to concepts of like God and spirituality, he's just like not interested. You kind of lose him. Um, Over time, I mean, he's he's actually expanded his viewpoint quite a bit and now he, he meditates a lot. Um, and he does what other people might consider spiritual practices, but he doesn't meditate to get closer to God or faith or anything. He meditates to be closer to himself, to calm mm-hmm. his mind and, and have higher levels of consciousness. He believes in consciousness. So um, so when I was a kid, he just had no interest in, in that at all, like anything to do with faith in the traditional or even the non-traditional way. Yeah. And I, I hope he would be okay with me sharing this. But once I said to him, like, Dad, like, why can't you just say you believe in me that you'll just like that I'll just make it someday? And he's like, because how do I know? I can't see the future. <laughs> and, and that's very practical. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> so he doesn't mean to be unloving or supportive. He just can't believe in intangible things. So his, if he had a spirituality, which he probably wouldn't claim to, but it would be more about just presence and being in, mindful in the moment, you know? Yeah. So I don't remember any talk in my childhood that was around faith um, outside of the conversations that I had with my 
mom about God. And I accepted the notion of God more completely as a child, partly because of those conversations and and having those spiritual ideas or sharing them with her made me feel close to her um, because it was so important to her. And I went to Hebrew school for a little while and we prayed there, but I don't know if I really digested what that meant. I was young. Yeah. Um, I think when I reached my teens and my 20s, I started to dismantle some of those ideas, just trying to figure out what was true for me. Yeah. But so I I think when I look back, um, I actually think there was a lot of fear-based thinking. And I want to speak really lovingly about about this and them because they've also evolved and they're incredible human beings and do incredible things in the world. But when I look back on my childhood, there was definitely some limited thinking and fear I grew up in. And I think my own sense of faith or the faith that I've been in search of has been in response to that fear. I think it's actually been almost a rebellion <laughs> to prove it to prove it wrong, like to prove that fear and limitation wrong. So I think up until fairly recently, I was actually driven by the need to prove that anything was possible for myself. Mm. And it may have just been a real reaction to not feeling that way when I was a kid. Um, and, it, and it wasn't just to be clear, it wasn't anything that they ever reinforced specifically. They never told me not to go after my passions. They were very supportive of me. But I think it was also blanketed in ideas about being realistic and practical and have a backup plan. And I actively fought against that. But to their credit, what we did have in our home was a lot of discussion and a lot of debate. So almost nothing was off the table. And they, they taught me critical thinking and they gave me a really independent mind. Like my father will feel really close to you by having a philosophical discussion. Like talking about consciousness makes him so happy. <laughs> so I think they did give me the tools to pursue my own path and challenge my own thinking. And that split viewpoint in my home, um, I kind of call myself like Mulder and Scully. Like it gave me <laughs> this really deep curiosity about the mysteries of life and a sense of something greater than myself and a sense that anything was possible, but also a skeptical mind that that doesn't just believe what's instantly fed to me. Like I, I still challenge things and, and need to experience something for myself um, to start believing in it, you know, to start trusting it. Yeah. It's interesting to me too, like your parents having these two very different um, viewpoints also still built a life together and still had children together. And so was there a sense that disagreement was okay? Do you think that was something that was a part of your life or that not everything needing to align is fine and we can still be in community, we can still be in space together, we can still be in a family together and move forward through that? Yes, absolutely. Like conversations, debate, these conversations are so important to my life. Like it, it just turns me on so much when two people can go like, what about this? And what about this? And what are all the different possibilities? And, and not in conflict, but just exploring is really exciting to me. There was also like a lot of arguing and sometimes it got <laughs> heated and, and dramatic. So there's aspects, I think, where I've been um, conditioned to be a little bit afraid of like, you know, fighting, like I don't like fighting. <laughs> but but certainly, um, it has given me a very curious mind and a capacity to see all sides of things that I treasure. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So you said it was in high school that you started kind of 
questioning things and searching for yourself for the answers to these big questions. Where where did that kind of lead you? Um, and, and how does it connect to where you are now? I think it just sort of set me on a path to figure out how life works and how to realize yourself in the world. Like, I truly don't believe that we come into this life to fail. I don't actually believe in success or failure at all, but we don't, I don't think we come into this life to be limited, unexpressed versions of ourselves. Um, that may be a privileged point of view. And I understand that too, because I don't have the whole picture figured out. And I know that we all get handed very different hands and some roads are really, really difficult. Um, but I don't like to believe that we're put in the world to suffer indefinitely. So um, I think, like I said, that my drive um, in life has been in reaction to these ideas of limitation and fear. I think it's been in reaction to the opposite of hope. I think fear is the opposite of faith or maybe lack of trust is, which to me is also fear, um, which is something that I've really struggled with in life. Like trust in life is something that has I've really had to work on. So um, I think you could say it all influenced my pursuit to prove faith to be true. <laughs> Does that make sense? Um, I think my path has actually been about cultivating faith through my life. So my, my path in pursuit of showing up in the world as the most expressed, expressed version of myself has shown me that something greater is actually at work. So whether that is God or the universe, I actually struggle with the word God because it's so loaded. I tend to use, refer to the universe a lot, but I don't know if I've actually found the right word just yet. Um, I actually don't care. Like, I don't think it needs to be labeled a specific way and I don't need God to be real, but I do have a sense that there are laws at work in the universe and there are truths out there and I see the magic all the time. And I have people in my life who would tell me that it's coincidence but even my dad's admitted to me that there's been times in his life where something really magical has happened. And he would say that it's just his human brain has interpreted it as such, or maybe he wouldn't. I don't want to put words in his mouth. He'd have a smart answer, but I don't know. But um, <laughs> but I know that I've had those conversations with my family that were, where, where they would say that your mind will interpret it any way you want it to be. And all that may be so, but I've seen some like profound cause and effect. Like I've seen deliberate manifestations and like, profoundly, at least through my lens, mystical things that I have not been able to explain and synchronicity and magical events and being in the right place at the right time and certain things like reliably working out in a particular way that I just can't explain in any, any other way. And I feel um, it just keeps proving itself to me. So um, there's just a lot at work in the world that I can't understand. And it would be foolish of me to assume that I know everything. So I, I do hand it over and I do um, turn to a feeling that something greater than myself knows more than me and is supporting my path. And I, I have to believe that maybe because Otherwise, it would be too damn hard. <laughs> like I have to believe that it's all for something. But uh, but it has pushed me forward. It has pushed me into doing things that I otherwise wouldn't do if I 
I wasn't noticing those things. If I wasn't seeing the rewards that come from doing the work, then I would, why would I keep going? (laughs) It would be too hard. Yeah. So can you talk about, you mentioned that you had a life that you planned for yourself and you thought you were going to kind of move forward. Can you talk a little bit about what that was and then how that has changed and shifted and, and how you've responded to that? So to start, I would say that I have always felt since I was very young that I had a calling. And I knew when I was like five, like I knew I was an actor. I just knew it. And I started on that path very, very, very young. And I kept going and going. And I went to an art school at nine years old. And then I went and did theater in high school. And then I went to university and continued acting. And then I came out of university and I was like, this is my life. And this is exactly what I'm going to do. And I was validated constantly that I was really good at it. I always got just enough feedback that made me think at any moment anything could change. And it was the most painful process (laughs) of like, things just would not come easily to me. So on the one hand, the talent felt very easy. um, School felt really easy. But out in the world, actually making that real, I spent so much of my 20s just crying just crying and crying and not understanding why I couldn't have that breakthrough. Mm -hmm. And I still don't think I'm willing to let it go. And I still don't think that it means it's not my path. It just, I think it's actually been my perfect path. I often think we choose the things that have the most to teach us. So it isn't so much necessarily that I was meant to be a successful actor in my 20s, but that journey brought me to all of the big lessons and learnings that I needed to go through to become the person I am today. Yeah. It took me to Los Angeles, which was a huge spiritual experience for me and and completely transformed me. So everything was perfect. It just didn't go according to my timeline and my ideas of how life should be. I thought that I was supposed to be married and have two kids by the time I was 30. And I was supposed to be a famous actress and have my Oscar by the time I was 30. Like 30 was a big number for me. I was really attached to the timeline, how fast it should happen. And if it didn't happen in a certain way at a certain point, then I was a failure. And I internalized that failure like you wouldn't believe. I was a perfectionist. I was deeply hard on myself. I was deeply controlling of my own life and probably the people I loved without meaning to or realizing it and really afraid of um, admitting my lack of perfection. Mm. I think my ideas of what it took to be an actor and the way in which I needed to be perceived by the world, um, I created a very... um, controlled image of myself. I I think I, I was really scared to be deeply vulnerable in my relationships, like with my friends and, and really expose my mess. Like I just held it together all the time. Right. So, uh, that was 
the path that I was on, but I didn't realize there was any problem with that. (laughs) (laughs) And, um, something occurred. I can't go into all the details, but, but something occurred around the point that I went to Los Angeles where absolutely every aspect of my life as I knew it and all the ways that I had defined myself and every identity that I had carried with me completely blew up. And I was there alone, (laughs) thinking I was there to be, um, you know, I was going to become a famous actress overnight, but instead spent a lot of time sitting there in the rubble of my life, not knowing what happened. I had no idea what happened. And in that process, I think what I had been trying to say and refer to maybe inelegantly up to this point is that I think sometimes it takes actually going through our greatest fears to become who we are. Mm -hmm. I think our fears are actually our teachers. They actually point the direction to who we are meant to become and show up as in the world. And yet most of us spend our lives running and screaming from those things. And this kind of put me inside my fear when I had spent 32 years prior avoiding them completely. I was forced to confront every insecurity, every shadow, everything I didn't like about myself, every fear about my life. I was suddenly in my 30s in Los Angeles, totally broke, living like a nomad, having everything I ever knew ripped from me with no sense of security and and feeling so far from my dream, further than I had ever felt. And then in that process, all of a sudden, so I was doing all this deep work on myself. I was really digging. I was doing the shadow work. I was um, cultivating spiritual practices. I was in therapy. I was doing all the things. And in that time, I started to meet people who for the maybe the first time in my life, I mean, I've had incredible friendships. So I'm not trying to say that my previous friendships weren't significant and deeply important to me. But but there were people that I was meeting there where I felt I was showing up really for the first time as myself. Mm. Like our and friendships were, were really equal on a level that maybe I hadn't known before. And they were teaching me things. Like I was attracting people who had so much to teach me. And I started um, surrendering. I just started to surrender. I started to accept that I was moving every month. I started to accept the mess of my life. I started to, in these new relationships, show all of my ugly bits. I was um, getting really real and really honest. And they saw me so completely. And they saw me for all the things I've always wanted to be seen for, all the gifts Mm -hmm. that I actually knew I had, and it wasn't acting related. So for the first time, it was like, that's not, that wasn't where my identity was um, focused or centered or, or built around. It was something else. And it was something much truer to who I was, which is not to say that acting isn't incredibly important to me. But I certainly can look back and see how much I needed validation for it. And I needed that success to feel like I, I was worthy. Yeah. You know? And now I found my worthiness and my sense of self despite that. 
And so if that comes, that's awesome. And I would love to do it because I love it so much. And I'm still doing it, but it's not, it's no longer like, if that doesn't happen, that I won't be okay. Yeah. Yeah. There's a deeper internal sense of okayness. Yeah. A deeper sense of security, a deeper sense of faith in myself and trust in myself that I'll be okay no matter what. Yeah. I'm curious, back you said when things blew up and you were kind of sitting in the the rubble of your life. <laughs> um, I think that that is a scenario that happens to more people than they probably want to admit <laughs> publicly, right? Um, and I think that there can be different paths through that. Sometimes there's a very strong reaction against that and you don't, people don't want to sit in that really uncomfortable space. So you distract yourself, you develop other relationships, you develop habits, you, you kind of do everything to resist being there. What tools did you have or what tools did you use to allow yourself to remain in that place, even though it felt so terrible? And kind of the next part of that is what made you trust that there was something on the other side of that? Um, I can't say initially, just to answer your second question first, I can't say initially I did trust that. Mm. I think it took me a long, long, long time to trust that. I think I lived in the terror for most of it. <laughs> um, but I think on some level, this is inbuilt in me. Because even through um, my teens and my 20s, when I'm talking about the way that I was, I actually thought I was a really conscious person and I actually was doing my work. But I, again, when I say you're, you're kind of given everything as you go that you can handle, I think I was doing really essential work, but it wasn't, it wasn't all of it. Right. And, and so it led me to being, to having the capacity to the, to do the work that I did at that point in time when it arrived. But there has always been this inbuilt part of me that has wanted to grow, that has wanted constant expansion, that always has liked sort of living in that slightly uncomfortable space where you're constantly stretching. Like, that's really important to me. And I don't know why. <laughs> but I complacency and being too comfortable is like, I can't, it just doesn't feel good. It doesn't feel good to me. Like, there's always, I always can feel that there's um, more for me to learn and, and, and do. So I, I think um, at a time where I saw everything fall away and I was really noticing that I had been working really, really, really hard for a long time and not getting the results that I wanted, that there was something internal, something in me that needed to shift that I could not, I couldn't just scream at the universe, not bringing me the thing that I wanted. Like, what was it inside myself that was either not allowing it in or was not seeing something I needed to see? Mm. So this is just my natural instincts. I don't think I expected the path it would lead, lead me down. <laughs> I don't think I understood the depths that it would take me through. But my instinct constantly throughout my life is like, what is it? I mean, I do have a bit of a fix it mentality, right? Like what is, what is it that I need to fix? So I have, I also have to work through that because that's part of the perfectionism. 
But the tools that I used, um, there's a, there's a bunch, but I've been meditating since I was a teen. So I, I was definitely building a meditate, a meditation practice. I do morning pages. So I would do stream of consciousness. I started to do shadow work. Um, there's lots of different places you can find tools for that. I was using Lacey Phillips. I don't know if you've heard of her program, um, but I was doing a lot of her meditations and her shadow work and her inner child uh, meditations. So I went through that whole process. Um, I also, um, this hobby that I've been referencing to, that become a thing, um, I landed on something called human design. It's like a, a synthesis of astrology and numerology, the I Ching, Kabbalah, quantum mechanics, the chakra system. It's this very complex system. And I found it very intriguing. And it appeals to that part of me that's both like spiritual and sciencey. It, it kind of comes at it in both those ways. And, and it actually um, answered a lot of pieces for me um, because it, it's a system of self-knowledge. So I could see by digging deeply into my chart, I could see... Um, what my what tendencies or ways in which I was truly going uh, against my nature, right? And using that as a guide to actually come back to myself more and more and more. So that was also part of that process was implementing some of um, the tools that they suggest. So it was a lot. It was a lot of things, and then um, finding my community. I was going to women's circles, and I was meeting people who are spiritually inclined, and um, really opening me up to to a lot of um, I wouldn't say new ideas, but sort of reconnecting me to that aspect of of myself. And I suddenly had people around me who were all doing the work, like deep deep in the work, you know. So I couldn't get away from it because all the people I had attracted to me in my life were in the thick of it constantly, you know? So they kind of held me accountable. That's been a gift. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it made it a space where it was okay to question and, and I imagine not have the answers. Yes. Um, I don't know if we will ever get the answers. I think it's sort of the, existential dilemma of being a human being is that we are so full of questions that cannot be resolved. <laughs> and, and I think the beauty is actually just in the questions and what the questions lead us to. So I've become more okay with having no certainty. I've, I've relaxed a lot in thinking that I need to know how things are going to go and that it should all go according to what my mind determines, because I think our minds almost hundred percent of the time lead us astray. <laughs> so you mentioned this hobby that's become a passion. You talked about sort of, you know, this two years being a process. Where have you kind of landed now on your journey? What, what, what's life like for you on this side? I feel like I trust myself. I feel like I can handle anything. I have just lived through my worst fears and now almost, I mean, it's not, I'm sure life will have plenty more to give me, but, but I feel like the only thing I can actually control is my response mm. and knowing that I will be okay, no matter what life is a big unknown. That is the nature of life. We never know how it's going to go. 
So all I can do is show up and be curious and open and strong in myself. And so I think I've landed at a point in my life where I'm actually present and I'm just curious and this nomad life that I've been doing, I'd like that to end pretty soon. It hasn't yet, (laughs) but, but because of that, it's made me so comfortable with change. I used to be, I'm a cancer. Like I used to be a homebody. I lived in like three apartments my whole life. Like I was just so attached to stuff and so attached to my home space and, and building a life in one place. And that's been stripped from me. And through that process, I'm like, oh, I'm free. I don't need any of that stuff. I just have a suitcase. And and next month I'll be at my parents. And then because I've just come back to Canada for a bit. And then after that, I don't know. And it always will work itself out. It's a very, like the fact that I'm talking like this is absurd to me. Because this is not the person that I was. But I feel like life is going to show me what's next. And all I can do is meet it. And be curious about it. So what has that meant for your acting dreams? And then you also said the human design work has become something you've pursued more as a job as well, too. I've never pursued it. And I think that is the magic of it, is that it happened despite me. So I never advertised. I never initiated anything. I was just nerdy about something, and it came to me. And I just, again, followed the breadcrumbs and it led me into this place where I guess this is what I'm doing. But it's not, um, it doesn't feel like my forever thing and it doesn't feel the way I feel about making art. But I do feel like it taps into a part of me um, that gets to be of service and gets to help people in a way that I'm really, really good at. And I love that. And I think it's all going to add up to something one day. Like I'm learning skills through it and having experiences through it that both um, validate a lot of the magic that we're talking about. Like I can't tell you how profound and bizarre and accurate, like having done all these readings where I'm like, I don't understand how this works and how it's so like on point. I don't get it. I have no way of explaining it. But like time and time again, it just keeps showing me how um, it's just creepily accurate. So, so that's been really cool in building my trust muscle and, and building this like faith in something bigger than myself. Cause who can explain this? But, uh, I think it's, it's, it's just expressing a, a part of me that I think has always been there, but I didn't have a focused outlet for. Yeah. And I am an actor. I am, I am a storyteller. I am a, a creator. Like that is fundamental to my being. But when I look back on the desperation in which I was pursuing it, I don't think that I was actually ready for what I was asking for. Mm. And I think I needed to live through the last few years of my life and have it taken from me and have um, the experiences that I had because it gave me a resiliency and a sense of self that I just wouldn't have had the capacity to handle the life I was calling in. So I don't actually know. I don't really know what's going to happen because who can determine that. But my hope is that I'm, I continue to do it with more joy because I can't actually say it was joyful. It was coming from a different place. And now it comes from like, when I get auditions, I get excited and I feel like I can play and I can just do it for the love of it and not out of the like 
validate me <laughs> like the, the neediness the neediness that I used to have yeah and it's it's coming also from more of a place of service of wanting to to put work out into the world that is genuinely meaningful and so I've had to sort of reorient myself as an artist because as an actor you're not always in control of the material that you get and and the roles that you get and the work you're putting out there and it is actually important to me that I'm putting out something meaningful um so I have to sort of navigate that for myself and and how much do I work for others and how much do I want to just create for myself yeah yeah So I'm curious to all the other people out there that are currently sitting in the rubble that, you know, maybe this pandemic upended life for, maybe that happened for another reason. What would you say to those folks? What would you offer um, from your perspective and from your own journey in support? Grieve. Grieve. That is a huge part of the process. I'm not trying to paint a picture that this is easy at all. I just lived through hell. I just lived through fire. So I would encourage anybody in that place to feel it all, to feel every piece of it. And I hope I can offer a, a glimmer of hope that there is some light on the other side. And I'm not even all the way through. I feel like I'm starting to be, but I'm not all the way through. And um, I can only say that I am the strongest version of myself I have ever been. So whatever is happening, it is um I don't even want to say it's for your highest good because I believe it, but like no one wants to hear that when you're in it. (laughs) (laughs) Nobody wants to hear it. You know, we just want to be held and, and told it's what you're going through is hard and I honor it. I honor what you're going through. Feel it all. Yeah. Thanks for saying that. So the Merriam-Webster Dictionary defines faith in three ways. So one, as an allegiance or duty that you have to something. Two, as a belief or trust in something greater than yourself. And three, as something you believe or know beyond a shadow of a doubt. And so I want to put each part of this definition to you as a question. So for you, what do you feel a duty or allegiance to in your life? So my higher self, like to not betray myself, a duty to not betray myself and to be of service to the world, to use my life in a way that is meaningful and beneficial to others. Yeah. Yeah. And what do you believe or trust that is greater than yourself? Uh, Love. You know, I'll credit my therapist here. She said to me once, um, 
if it's story, it isn't love. Or if it's love, it isn't story. Which to me means that when we are actually getting out of our minds, getting out of, you know, the stories that we create about our lives and who did what and who did this. And, and we, we, this is just how we are as, as a species. Like, it's just the, the nature of humanity and having a human brain. But when we actually get present and still, I think all that's left is love. Mm. I think our truest self, our truest nature, our highest potential is the expression of love. And I think it unites us. I think we see the capacity for love everywhere. I think often we we talk mostly about the shadow side of the human experience. Like, I, you know, we turn on the news and it's it's a lot of darkness. But I think what moves me and inspires me and what I see mostly around me is goodness, is people who are genuinely here in the world to connect and make a difference and find joy and meaning in this life and love one another. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And what do you believe in or know beyond a shadow of a doubt? And I believe that everyone has something at their core that they know to be true if they really ask themselves. Part of me wants to say the same answer because I I don't know if we can know anything to be true outside of love. I really don't know if we can. I've really spent a lot of time questioning this and I don't know if I can know anything for certain other than at the core of humanity, we are all love. But I also do believe, I think I believe this for sure, that we are all doing the best we can. Mm. And I do believe in the resiliency of the human spirit that despite all of the challenges and the hurt and the pain and the difficulty of the human experience, that we have the capacity for growth and change and evolution and that we are getting better. I actually believe we're getting better. We look back over history that we are moving maybe painfully, but we are moving in the right direction. And sometimes when we see all of the darkness in the world, I think the darkness needs to be exposed before we can get to the light. Like we need to face our collective shadow. Yeah. And I think we may be doing that right now. So I believe in love and I believe that we as species or in this human experience, in a human experience are all doing the best that we can. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That's great. Thank you so much for all that. So do you have a spiritual practice that you do on a regular basis? It could be weekly, monthly, yearly, but something that you come back to to help connect you with your sense of faith or hope. Yes, I have several, but I would say the most consistent practice that has been with me over the last decade is Morning Pages, which I read about through The Artist's Way by Julia Cameron. So she um, has a great explanation of how to do it in, in the book. So how I do it, um, one of two ways. Way one is I wake up in the morning and with my eyes half closed and I'm barely awake, I roll over and grab my notebook and just start writing. 
And it's just three pages of stream of consciousness. So um, why I like to do it right in that like half dream state is I find like I'm really connected at that point in time to sort of like a, a deeper consciousness, right? And I'm not and I'm not in my awake brain yet. So I'm not filtering things. Sometimes my dreams will come out on the page. And um, that's where I really have access to my higher truth, my inner knowing, I will often write things that if I were to read it back at some point in time, which which I don't suggest doing right away. But sometimes I look back and I go, whoa, like I predict things, you know, when I'm when I'm doing this. So I, it's a really good way to get all of the noise out of your head onto the page before you start your day. But the second way I do it is sometimes I forget to do it very, very first thing. And I'll make my coffee first and I'll sit down and, and then it's it's a little bit more awake and conscious. But I actually like there's mornings where I really like having that conversation with myself. So it doesn't feel it's still draining, but it feels a little bit more um, self-aware. And I can actually start to really witness how I feel about things like I need to put it on the page in order to get clarity a lot of the time. Again, it's all about taking the noise out of your mind and dumping it. So either way works. But um, I don't think it really matters what time you do it. I think Julia Cameron would say do it first thing in the morning. But I think just putting all the blah on the page at some point in your morning in the day is, is really critical. Yeah. And so what has this practice brought you? What does it do for you? Why do you keep returning to it? It's incredibly grounding. It brings deep clarity. It's also very connective. Like I find myself getting very um, connected to myself and how I feel about things that otherwise are creating a lot of static. Like sometimes even just all the emotional noise that I might be going through, I can, it purges it. So I sometimes will cry as I write or sometimes I just have an aha moment as I write. And sometimes nothing happens at all, but my brain will feel more relaxed. And I, I, I've said this a few times in this conversation, but our minds really do cause a lot of trouble. <laughs> our minds are these really profound tools. They're, they're incredible instruments and they're meant to, you know, connect with people and analyze things and communicate and, and explore the higher concepts of the universe. But it causes a lot of trouble when we let it interfere with our lives. We do think in terms of story, and we're going to create stories about the people we love. We create stories about ourselves, about what is going right or wrong, about failure and success. Like All of it gets really loud up there. And if we actually just get it out, (laughs) not only do you realize how much is meaningless and noisy and not actually helping you and, and just creating a lot of like static, like I said, but it just brings you mental calm and peace. It just gets... I'm quiet, even if it's briefly, like the more that we lean into just a little bit of quiet, I think that's when we access our true selves. That's when we access our love. That's when we can start to feel hopeful because I think our natural state is to be hopeful, is to be trusted. Mm -hmm. So it, it just clears it all away so that we can be who we are. Yeah. That's beautiful. Thank you. You're so welcome. And you can find Jessica's adaptation of the Morning Pages practice in the Spiritual Practice Library at keepingfaithpod.com slash library, where you can listen to her guide you through it and try it out for yourself. 
Keeping Faith is produced by Ron Kelly and Marin Smith, and Ron Kelly composes our exceptional music too. Next week, we're doing something a little different on Keeping Faith. With all eyes on the U.S. election on Tuesday, we know that whatever happens, the news cycle will be overwhelming. So to help you find some calm in the chaos, we're bringing you a special live episode of Keeping Faith, where we talk about how to approach the news mindfully. I'll be joined by friend of the podcast and mindfulness practitioner, Colin Oliver, and together we'll guide you through mindfulness practices you can use to help you process even the most difficult news stories. Join us live at 12 p.m. noon Eastern via the link in our bio on Facebook and Instagram at Keeping Faith Pod, or find the link on our website at keepingfaithpod.com season two, and we'll see you there. But until then, I'll be holding you in hope and faith. I'm Marin Smith. See you live next week.